Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. To this Friday edition of the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Uh, give me all you got, Friday. Give me all you got. Give me all you got. Well, we got a lot in store for you. We are talking to former Rage Cajun quarterback, now with the Seahawks, Levi Lewis, a little bit later on at the top of next hour. We're going to visit with Talon Humphrey, Big Sauce. He'll be in Steelers minicamp, the former Cajun nose tackle. We are going to visit with Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball, a managing editor, national writer. We're going to talk RPI, UL, LSU, and more. Kicking off the show with this, he joins me every Friday because he's just that dude. The Pro Nola segment, we're going to start it right now, right out the gate with our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Gus Cattengale. Good morning, Gus. Appreciate you doing this as always, my friend. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well, brother. I'm doing well. Let's 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 dig right into it. And I want to go. I guess I want to go backwards, right? We'll we'll go backwards. So let's start with the most recent thing that I guess was big news for the Saints, and that is the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and and you and I were talking about this on your show this week, man. I mean the buzz throughout Louisiana and Saints fans everywhere is maybe unlike any we've seen for a free agent signing before for, for, for natural reasons, Gus, but God, man, the reaction to this thing is uh, impossible to ignore. It's crazy. I mean, when you actually really think about the, um, the excitement and and really, I, I would say mutual recruitment, right? I mean, when you heard him speak, Back on Wednesday, he kind of mentioned that it was really the only place he wanted to go. And, Scott, we kind of joked about it on, you know, your show here or when you come on and mine on Wednesdays about how the guy just got to Louisiana in the offseason. He really, really didn't want to leave, did he? He spent, like, a couple of days, if not a week or so, in Baton Rouge. He hung out with the football team. He threw out a first pitch in the baseball game. He gave, I think, an unbelievable speaks to the football team about his journey, the ups, the downs of what it'd be like to do that. And then also, um, I think after I know I saw that, I was like, you know, that kind of leadership is kind of exactly what you want in that locker room. And um, I think with the Saints defense, it also fits. It fits in that he can be aggressive. Dennis Allen likes to do that, but you're not asking him to be the sack leader, the guy that's the number one shutdown corner, the guy who's going to have to be the guy to provide for, you know, turnovers or something. I, I think the Saints defense is strong enough, as I made the case this week, that he just has to go be Tyron Matthew and, and, you know, use your instincts. The ball sort of finds him. He can be aggressive. He can take chances. I, I think a lot of people, because he played with the Jets, don't really know what they have in Marcus Mays. He's a 
darn good safety. I saw Nick Underhill and a couple of other people tweet stat where since 2017, he's been number one safety in the NFL in view his pass catch rate, right? So he's not a bum. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, you know, so I, mean, I, I, I think everything that I think so far Dennis Allen and the Saints have done has had rhyme or reason. It's had purpose. And I think this feels like that, right, from, from both aspects of it. He made no bones about it, whether it was – local radio shows or shows in Baton Rouge or just going around town, Scott, taking selfies with people that wanted to say hi to him and, and posting photos and, you know, making it pretty apparent in today's day and age when you unfollow or take photos away of the current team you're playing and it makes massive news. Well, you know, he liked months ago a Photoshop photo of him in a Saints jersey. Yep. So I, I think it's been, like I said, a mutual courtship that the state fans were not going to let it go. I mean, I was kind of joke with a buddy of mine. It almost feels like, you know, that friend of yours that come heck or high water is heck bent on, on making sure that they set you up on this date with this person that they're absolutely positively sure you should marry, have kids with, and die ever happily ever after. I mean, that's, that's what it felt like from the state fans' point perspective, right? I mean, every day that didn't go by guys like Ralph Marlborough with the Saints podcast and, um, you know, happy hour podcast or just things that everybody's like, today's a good day to sign Tyron Matthew. You know, things of that nature, Scott, I've never seen anything like it, but to understand it really complicated, right? Um, he's probably top five in some minds, top three. And there was a debate on social media Wednesday night. You know, is he better than Burrow? But, like most popular LSU Tigers to ever wear the uniform, which is incredible that that's even a conversation considering he was dismissing the team. So we're not talking about a guy like Burrow, Scott, that, you know, was carried off Tiger Stadium, you know, Tiger Field and Tiger Stadium um, as a winner, or he, he literally didn't finish there. I mean, it, it, and it was in disgrace, right? So, it's crazy to see the story, and it's crazy to see how popular he was. But then again, you just put on the highlight package yeah. that the school itself tweeted on Wednesday, Scott, the guy was just an absolute walking highlight reel. He, and, you know, oh, he needs to wear number seven. By the way, it's not going to happen, but um, he wore number seven for one season at LSU. Like That's it. It, 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 it speaks to the impact he had on the field when mm-hmm. he was there, but – and it also it's it's about timing, right? He he said, I don't know, six years ago, like it. I needed to get away from the city. I mean, I was, I he. I think he said on Wednesday when he was talking, look, ten, eleven years ago when I was in my early twenties, I I needed to remove myself from certain things, certain environments. I had to work on myself, get myself to a certain point where I can get home and be responsible and be the person I know I can be, and and. Here he is, you know, going on 30, saying he's still got his best years in front of him, wanting to join the team, wanting to be back in his hometown at a position the Saints could certainly <clears throat> use and need after the draft and, and the kind of player that Dennis Allen wants to do a lot with. But as I said on your show, Gus, and I've said it a couple times, Tyron Matthews' backstory of from New Orleans, LSU, overcoming the things he did when he was there, that's the icing. 
and 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 that's good. But this is an icing of just some dry cake you buy because you're feeling hungry at the store, and then you get it, and you realize it's been sitting out for a while, and it's not very good, and the icing's just a bunch of sugar. And no, man, this cake is this cake is moist. It is delicious. It is as good as it gets. That's that's the fit, right? The other cool backstory is the icing. The fit makes a lot of sense, and it, and it speaks to kind of this new regime the Saints are going with, this new era of Saints football where they're going to lean on that defense a lot in special teams and do what they need to do on offense. Well, they needed to address offense in the draft. They did. Something I've always thought was stupid was draft grades. Look, if you're a Saints fan, you can search long enough and find someone that gave the Saints an A. You could probably search long enough and find someone that gave them a D or an F or something like that. No one's going to remember what these draft grades are a year or two from now that anyone's reading, right? We're only going to know, are these guys good? Great. It was a good draft. Are they bad? Is one of them good? One of them bad? Well, they screwed up. That's I, 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 I would love to have these hot takes. I'm glad the Saints drafted a receiver. I'm glad they drafted a left tackle in the first round. They needed it. I'm. That's good. Now we got to make sure that they're they're good. The Saints certainly think they are. The Saints value their talent evaluators. They don't do the Patriot way of let's acquire a ton of picks so we have a wide margin of error. They're like, let's be super aggressive and just get even if it's only a few. Uh, it's worked for them some years. Other years, you know, it's 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 not been great. What will this year be? Time will tell. But uh, whenever I say that, that doesn't stop any Saints fans from getting excited about the draft because – here we are, Gus, you know, a week later, over a week later from when they draft in Alave, and they're still just excited. I still get emails and, and, and messages in my inbox, and people ask me about it pretty much every day this week. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. I think, like, a, you know, been saying for a couple of weeks, man, not only to you, but on our show, we just I, – I, I just look at – you go back to, to the whole start of this, Scott, and, and the reason why we all thought that Dennis Allen was probably the best uh, fit for the team, and it was based off of where the team is, right? If you were rebuilding, maybe you do go and, you know, get a different coach that is starting out to try to get that, and, you know, maybe you need that identity and retool and what are you going to be. That is not at, at all where the Saints are, like, at all. They they have an identity. They sort of have, you know, I wouldn't say transformed, but uh, I would say adapted to making the defense the strength of their team, but it primarily was because, well, you lost a Hall of Fame quarterback. You didn't have your all-pro record-setting receiver. You had an offensive line that was banged up and didn't perform well when healthy. I mean, that's just reality. You had Alvin Kamara in and out of the huddle, and he was central with Brandon Ingram was to the Pelicans, and he didn't play in the huddle. That the offense, you know, was terrible. I mean, Scott, we were celebrating first downs. You know, we'd have a drinking game, they had a field goal. I mean, it it literally went back to the days of you know Jim Moore and Carl Smith and Bobby Abair and them, and it was just you know winning on defense with the Dome Patrol, and that's what it it they did, but. That's what they had. You had, again, not not being disrespectful, but there was a flag football crew at receiver. And the fact that Sean Payton during the Zurich Classic still had the, the nerve to say that, you know, he doesn't necessarily think that there's a need at receiving the receiving group room. I, again, it's going to go down as 
one of the biggest mistakes of his coaching career. He absolutely over-evaluated that position. And it absolutely cost them last year. I mean, it, it cost them. They, they couldn't get first downs, Scott. They could not get a first down. So I think what you've seen is a head coach that was having to, you know, I guess counter that and compensate for that. And you saw immediately upon taking over the reins, making some tough decisions, you know, letting go of Curtis Johnson. He's a very popular coach. He's a very good coach. I mean, the receivers that have come out of this program have been pretty He thought it was needed to, needed to change. Maybe the voice, maybe the method, whatever. He went and got rid of the offensive line coach. The guy that came in probably wasn't ready to, to do it last year, and you saw it. It was, it was a weakness. I mean, not only did they not perform well, you almost thought regression, Scott, but then Dennis Allen said, you know what, these guys can't stay on the field, much less our D-line either. Why is every year our defensive ends and defensive linemen, something's going on with the line. I can't keep anybody healthy. There goes the strength coach. He brings in Alabama's strength guy, you know, to do that. I guess what I'm saying is everything has been methodical, and it makes sense. Like, Dennis Allen's probably sick of saying, I can't let these guys get past the 50-yard line because we've got to hold on to a field goal and we can't score. So he's gone and done things that I think, you know, may not sell jerseys or may not even get reported, like bringing in Marone and bringing in a new receivers coach and doing things of that nature. And, look, you saw it later this week, you know, Sonny Michelle from the Rams paid them a visit, you know, and the Dolphins as well. So, I, I, I think kind of like we talked a couple of weeks ago and you, know, you and a couple of other people a little nervous about the lack of moves. I'm like, just because you don't hear it doesn't mean that they don't have a plan in what they're doing. And when you look at him, the guy that, you know, again, was touted and lauded when he was hired, being, what, 12 or 16 years with Sean Payton, I think they know what they're doing. And, you know, their building is a building that plans – for contingencies in every single plan, A, B, C, D, and E. So, you know, I I just have always gone by that this offseason. If they were going to sign Marcus Williams, they'd have been happy. The second he signed somewhere else, it wasn't five minutes later, you saw Marcus May. So I'm sure they didn't just, oh, no, he didn't sign. Somebody Googled top free agent safety. They knew exactly what they had in mind. They know exactly what they wanted in certain positions and, and coaches in other groups. So I think when you look at all of that, um, it's been a fascinating offseason. And it's been one for me, Scott, that's made a lot of sense. And it definitely also, I think, goes to show you what he's learned from from being the Raiders head coach to now and in preparation and in being ready, going out there and getting your plan. And, you know, you heard Mickey Luma say it too. If you find somebody you like, you go get them. And I think from the Honey Badger to the draft picks, I mean, I read a CBSSports.com article on Wednesday that, you know, they think Jordan Jackson uh, is going to be uh, the Marco Jackson, rather, the fifth round the pick. App State linebacker. State I, I saw him at App State. Ball. He was pretty dang good at App State. He was yeah. Sunbelt Player of the Year. I mean, the guy is um, – the guy's good, but, you know, they got some pretty good linebackers on the team already. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I think best player available, 
going on offense, addressing need. It feels like they did all of that, and they need it. You know, um, Alave and, and Penning, those guys need to be day one impact players. And Penning has a mean streak, uh, big nasty, and uh, Alave's Ryan Day. This was when, you know, Alave was, was at Ohio State. And you think about some of the great receivers that have come through there just in the last six years. And he said, uh, and and for that matter, Coach Ryan Day at Ohio State, he's been on staffs in the NFL and, and in college football for years. He's been at Ohio State since 2017. He said, you know, he thinks that um, Olive is the best receiver he's ever coached, ever. And he said, look, his, the deep ball's there, but his blocking, uh, you know, what he can do on special teams, I don't know whether he'll be playing special teams for the Saints, but – he felt like he was a complete player. Now, he said that about him when he was you know, still in college. Is that going to be the guy the Saints get? Uh, I know they're counting on it. And you know, kind of similar to Michael Thomas, grew up in California, multi-star athlete, goes to Ohio State. Unlike Thomas, you know, um, Alave had immediate success at Ohio State. You know, Thomas, weak freshman year, then redshirted, and then just absolutely blew up his – his third year there, he started out, you know, not atop the depth chart. And by the end of the season, he was just dominating everybody. And then he got drafted by the Saints in the second round. So different paths and yet similar paths in terms of, you know, their high school experience and their college where they played. And now they're going to be playing next to each other. And they're already apparently working out, right? If Based on what they're showing on social media, the two are already connecting. And yeah. based on last year, Gus, and, and how putrid the Saints receiving core was, Tell you what, man, you want to put a shot in the arm for the offense? Yeah, clean bill of health is one thing, but playmaking mm-hmm. receivers is another because that's something they just didn't have last year. 100%. And, Scott, you know, again, it was one of the reasons why going into the draft, I, I love the Lave, man. I just, um, from this aspect of it, one of the hardest things that you saw last year is that, that the guy's going to get open. This guy's a great route runner. You know, we played um, one of the things that, you know, we saw leading into the draft, and it, it was, you know, uh, Baldinger's breakdowns that he does, and it was one based off of the, the one play when he catches the touchdown. You saw it in the highlight package on draft net against the Clemson defensive back that's in the NFL, and you saw just the precision and everything that you heard on draft night from everybody that spoke about him. This is a guy that is going to run – NFL caliber, NFL quality, precision routes. That's going to help your quarterback to know where that guy's going to go. It'll be easy to develop that. I thought that was first and foremost essential. That that guy is going to be able to get open. Can he get open? Secondly, he has a relationship with Michael Thomas. I mean, we had Ross Jackson on. He said that you know at the combine he brought that up. That the entire time he was Ohio State, they always communicated asking for advice, asking for how to do certain things, and, you know, kept in touch with them. But, you know, and I brought this up before, when new head coach flies out to Malibu to have a discussion with him and see what's up with Michael Thomas, get him on board. I mean, it was. It absolutely was a recruit, you know, recruiting sales pitch. And I had a caller say, we shouldn't have to do that. Well, no, I get it. I, I actually think it was, it was smart of Dennis Allen to do that. Um, Michael Thomas doesn't know Dennis Allen. No, Michael Thomas knows Sean Payton and Drew, and you know probably even to an extent doesn't know a lot of those linemen because you're in your position groups during the week on Monday. It's essentially treatment, and 
whatever team meeting you sort of have to do, get going Tuesdays, you probably make yourself get out there, but it's quote unquote an off day, but those guys are probably in there lifting treatment or staying away. And then Wednesday's the game plan. And when you show up, you literally go to your position group, find out what the game plan is for the receiver group, get out to practice, run it out there, then go back and watch film with your position group. You got to get on Thursday. Like what is he going to get to know Dennis Allen? So I thought it was actually a very, again, to what I was saying earlier, Scott, a immature sign of a head coach that's learned. And when you look at it, yeah, you know what you got in Alvin Kamara, right? Alvin Kamara, clearly, I thought last year, you and I have talked about this, I thought took a step in the leadership tree where you saw him pick up Stevie Deuce, you know, two seasons ago when he was in, like, Alvin Kamara the last two years has absolutely become a team leader by how he plays and what he does on the field. And even, you know, in the pressers, you, you heard him. You've heard him talk about other players supporting them, all those different aspects of it. Callaway, right? Didn't he say, you know, that he was a guy that said, hey, we need you to go make a play. So he knows that. He doesn't have to go see if he buys in. Michael Thomas hasn't been around the team for the better half of two years. Period. He played on and off two years ago. He didn't play at all last year, won around the team. So I think he was actually very smart to go do that. And I think since then you've seen him be active on social media. And so I think it is important that you go get of all the receivers. And I know there's, hey, Jameson Williams was there. I, I get it. But Michael Thomas doesn't know him. And at the end of the day, if your star player has a relationship with your top draft pick, who they're both going to rely on and wants to help him, wants to be there. I mean, you got Ryan Tannehill this week saying, my job is not to mentor, you know, Phyllis. And, and he's right. I mean, to an extent, right? I mean, there aren't teammates, but his job is to win football games. And the team drafted a quarterback to replace him. But you don't have that situation. But you hope that that wouldn't happen. And that's Ryan Tannehill, who never tweets about being wrong. Michael Thomas feels wrong when he wakes up in the morning. So I think it had a lot to do with that. So I think it showed maturity from the head coach to go see what's up. I love the fact that I see them working out. And it just adds to, again, why I, I, I just think this team is going to surprise a lot of people um, come this fall. Well, you mentioned Kamara. I mean, I, I still, you know, the, the court case now, court date now moved back to August. I just, I don't know how much time he's going to miss. I think they're going to miss him. Still have questions about this team, but I, um, I feel better today than I did a few weeks ago. I, I'll say that for sure. And you've kind of never really backed off your um your belief in them them being an NFC South champion next season. Time will tell, but the draft now in the rear view and you know, before you know it, man, uh, rookie mini camps, training camp, a couple of other bodies they might sign, but looks like this is what you got and we'll see what happens. In the meantime, we're going to hear from Tyron Matthew right now, take a quick break and then Talk a little bit about that other team on Airline Drive. The Pelican season is over. The NBA playoffs have continued, though they haven't been in it for over a week. But a lot has happened since they were eliminated. Zion talked last week. It got some buzz. It got people talking. Are folks still buzzing about the team that hasn't played in a while in New Orleans? We'll ask us that and more. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott Show continues. In the meantime, here is a little bit of highlights. Back on Wednesday when Teron Matthew officially Signed with the Saints on May 4th, also known as 504 Day. 
Tyron Matthew here, and I'm live from the Saints facility. So I uh, just passed my physical, just met with the coaches, uh, signed my contract, uh, talked to local media, so now I'm ready to roll. It's most definitely a dream. Um, you know, I think, you know, having an opportunity to, to represent, you know, uh, this team, uh, to be a part of this locker room, I've always been a fan of the, the way Saints play football, and uh, just to have that opportunity means a lot to me, and, you know, more than anything, I just want to you know, take advantage of it and make the most of it. You know, I think uh, this is probably uh, the most exciting fan base, you know, in all of football, really. Um, and, and then defensively, you know, I think that this defense, they just have an identity, you know, that every time they take the field, they're going to hit everything that moves, and they're going to try to uh, play team ball. Like I said, it's kind of like a full circle moment for me. Um, but uh, I definitely want to bring a championship and to, to back to New Orleans. Don't go anywhere. Great Scott show continues after this. Gus Cattengale for one more segment on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coming up later, Kendall Rogers of D1Baseball.com. Levi Lewis, former Rage of Cajun QB, now with the Seahawks. Big Sauce, Taylor Humphrey, former Rage of Cajun nose tackle, heading to Steelers minicamp next week. A lot to get into with all of them. More with Gus right after this. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. One more segment with Gus, a few more minutes. But uh, before we welcome back on the G-Cat, I want to remind you, Rage Cajun Softball taking care of business on the diamond. You heard their game last night against ULM. Game one of the final regular season Sunbelt Conference Series. Game two tonight at 6, pregame at 545. You know, Zan, Bobby Neveu have the call. And then Saturday... Taking on the Warhawks at 2 with pregame at 145. We're not going to talk a ton of hoops today, but we will right now with Gus Cattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. And Gus, might be the last time you and I, I say the last time we talk about Pels for all. That's not true because the draft lottery is less than two weeks away and the Pels will have the Lakers pick. Well, 99.6% chance they'll have the pick. So it's going to happen. Will it be 8th, ninth? 10th, will it be in the top four? That's a 26.7% chance of that happening. But that's not what I want to ask you about today. I want to ask you about the afterglow, right? I think that's what you would call it because rare is in sports where team finishes under 500, team gets beat in the first round of the playoffs, and the feeling throughout the franchise and the region and the fan base is positive. But if you just looked at it on paper and looked at numbers, you wouldn't get it. If you followed this team, if you paid attention to when they began to turn things around, the culture, that organic connection they now have with the fan base, which for most of the last 20 years just has never quite clicked. They've had brief moments. I don't think this is a brief moment, Gus. There's a lot of stuff here. And then Zion saying, absolutely, I couldn't sign an extension fast enough if they offer it. Has the buzz worn down a little bit after a week since they've been eliminated? What's the afterglow of the Pelican season like in your parts over there in New Orleans? Um, I never experienced anything like this where I could just legitimately bring up or do anything to have to do with Pelicans and 
uh, my phone lines don't stop lighting up. Um, there's not, there, there's not just an excitement. I mean, look, I, I said this, I, I think I even asked you on Wednesday, we had Ali Cosell on from the bird rights, a couple of other people, Sean Fox, who used to show up in North Louisiana, uh, and he does an afternoon drive and I asked everybody, I'm like, you know, so legitimately like, what is that next step? I, I, I said, I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm this morning kind of thinking about what I'm going to do on the show. This is Wednesday. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how to feel or act in that I, I've spent the better half of the team's time here every off season, you know, grabbing a laundry list of, of things that need to happen and change. And unfortunately, most of the time is head coach, general manager, you know, top player. And if it's not trying to add or decide who that is, then it's, well, does the top player on the current team not want to be here or not? How do, what do we have to do to keep that player? I mean, since Zion's been here, we darn our season is, what you know the Pelicans? What, what are the Pelicans going to do to keep Zion? What are the Pelicans going to do to not have another Anthony Davis? And dude, it was what May fourth, and if you know, darn if if every caller, for the most part, Ollie and other you know people that cover the team said, you know what, you could probably just stand pat. Like think about that. Just stand pat. And I brought up the fact that I, I was uncomfortable. I was in this un, uneasy, strange yeah. place, dude. Like some sort of twilight zone where I sat there and opened the show on Monday, Scott. And I said, if if they had Zion, could they have won game five and six? I was talking to, to, to the ground. He was angry. Rewatching game five, game six, the third quarter, he thought the some of the calls were just and Todd and Todd was that. right. Todd was right. The third quarter, and, they, right, know, and that's the thing. It wasn't the same. They they were they were calling stuff they weren't calling in the second. Right, that's just the reality. It was very no, physical no, in the no, second no and question. the third. It was bam, whistle here, whistle there, whistle there, whistle everywhere. No question, no question. So, but in games five and six, you saw. I, I thought the play-in games affected Bi and CJ as as that series went on. They didn't look the same. They didn't have the same list and, and, and go. Um, CJ didn't have a very good series. He was front of the rim. That, that to me, was tired legs. I, I think what B.I. had to do in those play-in games and the Clippers and really playing a month of playoff basketball, I think, affected them all, um, in particular those two. And when CJ had three fouls and when he wasn't playing well in game five, it was easy, I think, for the Suns to just double, triple, and just make B.I., work really, really hard to try to score, and I think it wound up hurting him. So, but I'm sitting there going, what if they had Zion? Because Jonas, when he was offensive, was the difference maker. The two games the Pels won, he scored, and he made points. So I'm sitting there like, well, what if Zion could give you 20? Jackson Hayes gave you nothing. No, you, right? you, you need you need to so, trade Hayes. You need to to, to right. work on getting Zion healthy. If you trust your staff, and you, if, if if I'm asking you, if Zion played in those two games, could they have I won? Mean, I don't know. If and, you're saying if you're saying could he have right. come out cold having not played at all this season? No, no, I, no, 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 no. That's not no, no, no. I'm, I'm not talking about like 
hurt Zion. I'm saying Zion if, if Z- my thing is if Zion had been on the team all year and they still made the trade for right. McCollum, that team's not an eight seed. Look at the finished no, product. No, no, I, 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 okay, you're 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 looking way too deep into it. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, yes. If they had had Zion, yes, Zion with with no Devin Booker in Game they, Five and, and a hampered a Booker in Game Six, he would have made a difference. Yes, I so, mean the guy. You remember how okay, good he was last I, year? I mean, goodness, he was I'm incredible. That's what I'm getting at. I'm uncomfortable by by even thinking that. And I mean, when I say uncomfortable, it's kind of a funny uncomfortableness, right? Of going, oh man. Well, if that's the case, because I, cause you and I could make the argument. You, you just made it, right? The guy was putting up historic numbers in the paint. He's capable, like, if, if, and I know it's an if, but I just spent, you know, 30 minutes in the Saints, and I'm so confident in those ifs that I think he's going to win the division. So you could be some confidence in Sunday. So if Zion is remotely what he was the last season he played, and he looks physically better, and he sounded drastically more mature and the mere fact that he said on Thursday night after they had lost last week to Willie Green what do you want me to do do you want me to get the guys together do you want me to make sure we all take the fact he did that he's never done that since he's been here so if the guy is as good as he was the last season and probably better coming up Oh my gosh, that's what I mean. Where the uncomfortable? I'm like, well, what does that even mean? I'm like, does that mean they're 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 good enough to compete with the, the number one in that seat? Like, it, it it's crazy. Is that normally I'm sitting here going, oh God. I mean, how many moves they need to make to even compete? And I'm sitting here saying, you know, earlier in the season, you and I said, well, they need point guard help. They need three point shooting. They need all these other stuff and aspects of it, but. Remember the last year Zion played, he he was the point guard, and he brought the ball up, so that's another ball handler. Um, you know, when you look, when they were at their best in the postseason, Brandon Ingram and Steve Jim McCullen brought the ball up, and they shared it between them two years. So when Zion, that's three ball handlers there. My, uh, Willie Green showed in closing games that he actually trusted Alvarado. He had Tyra Lewis coming. I'm, I'm sitting there like, you know, I, 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 I could actually see just coming back because Zion himself you're adding you're adding a guy things. that was is an all-star and last year was a superstar right. that was one year and 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 it's a big if let's let's not ignore the elephant in the room right sure and he stay healthy and if he can you're adding an all-star and, and if he is and you've checked him out and you've got this medical staff you've invested in then I think you offer him an extension you you have some injury clauses in it maybe you know you have some insurance but you do it. I mean, here, here is here is Zion last week, um, last week, and you know at the end end of the season, right, meeting with the media about the Pelicans right now. Like I said, the locker room it was a different feel this year. It was a, uh, I, I, a lot of that go to bi leadership, um, the young guys buying in uh, to Coach Green so fast, and you saw it on the court, like. And uh, we we have a special group. I truly believe that. And then you know Zion, if you got offered an extension when you signed it, of course I couldn't sign it fast enough. I mean that's that for for a guy that doesn't talk much. Um, I he wants the contract. I don't blame him for wanting it. It doesn't mean necessarily that oh all is well long term. All this other stuff, but I I think I think you make the offer. 
he signs it, you get him healthy, and and next year, you know, the sky's the limit, man. It's the the anticipation for next season is the the highest and the highest anticipation for a season in my mind in the history of the franchise was 0809. Now, they were okay. They ended up being a seven seed and they got beat three four games to one by Denver. But the anticipation was there because of what happened the year before, and people kind of got on late. And it, you know, George Shin was the owner, and they tried to trade Tyson Chandler, and then it was rescinded. And then Chris Paul and David West were mad because they realized they had an owner that didn't really want to win and didn't want to pay a tax and all this other stuff, and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, it, it slowly fizzled, and there were sort of pockets here and there. Next season will be the most anticipated season in the history of the franchise, without question. And if Zion is healthy with that group, I mean, again, yeah. dude, it, it's uh, warranted excitement. Not you and I beating our heads that, against the wall it. saying, right? oh, no. well, you know, if, 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 if. The only if is Zion, but even if you don't have him for a, for a stretch, you saw what the group did this past season, and it's still something to get excited about, especially action with the fan base that they haven't had in the past. Yeah, no, and that, that's what I mean by that. That's where I was like, this is crazy because I'm sitting there thinking, you know, legit, and look, you, you know, heard screaming A this week, Scott. I don't know if you played it. I mean, Stephen A. Smith is saying that Zion's the one holding the Pelicans from being a championship. No, I didn't. I, like, I don't. I, I didn't hear what? that, and I don't. I don't follow that you stuff didn't much. Hear but that. oh my god, you know, you know, you've. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. lost my mind. He had Perkins on the show, and he literally Another sat guy there I had and no said, interest in hearing about it. "Wait," and and that wasn't that wasn't the end of it. But later uh, in the week, also talked about that. If they were the Lakers, they should trade LeBron James. And the reason being, and he went through all the teams in the West that were good, and then he said, and last but not least, don't forget New Orleans. They ain't going anywhere. I'm like, wow, wow, we have come a far way where Tremont A is literally suggesting that the Pelicans are in a better spot moving forward. And I can't disagree, Scott, because he's right. They are in a better spot. It goes back to what you're saying at the beginning of this conversation. Um, it's because they have a better foundation. Willie Green's legit. Willie, Jean, Willie Green's the, the real deal. I'm not calling him Phil Jackson, but he has Phil Jackson qualities in this aspect of it. What made Phil so good he was able to handle personality. He was able to understand and get that locker room to buy in despite having well, some of the yeah, biggest I, I, to have ever played. I will go a different. You know, I'll go I mean a different route. That? Like what makes my, what okay, makes the current Monty Williams right. great in his current regime in Phoenix? I mean, it's that feels more like Willie than you know, because Phil. I, no, I know, but what, that, what, what I when I what I mean, Phil Jackson, being that his one of his greatest qualities was being able to communicate to the rest of the team when he had a team full of stars and. That's, I mean, like, that's the thing that stood out to me during his time there. And, you know, whether it was the Lakers or with the Bulls, how do you get, you know, Bill Wellington to buy in and, and be a part of all of that? Now, granted, you have to have those personalities on the team to be leaders. But what I'm saying is the number one thing that Willie did when he got here was to get guys to buy in and want to play for the guy. Like, they legitimately love him. And that speech you know, one easily during the, during the show this week, when he said, "Get you know, give us your your best season," and it was the "You Got to Fight" speech. I mean, it you know, it, it, that that foundation is the reason why I think there. It like you said, it's not a flash in the pan or a poof. I'm not calling Larry O'Brien next year. I'm not saying change. You have legit reason because 
I think they're going to get better. He's going to get better. He just coached for his first year, and he made mistakes. You know, but if you I, add I just, an all star, have that passion, man. If you add a healthy all star. Again, the warranted excitement. One more before we let you go, Gus. This is Willie Green on the culture change that unfolded organically. It didn't just happen like that, right? It took a lot of time, but you saw it throughout the season. Rare, um, but we have amazing people, high-character guys, uh, high-character folks in our organization, and they they allow this to happen. And... Um, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for, for everybody, everybody's role. Um, everybody played a part in it. And um, once again, we, we want to we're, – we're excited about what we did this season, um, but we also understand when we take some time off that we got some work to do. And that last part. <laughs> we're excited, but we got work to do. We're not going to rest on our oh, yeah. laurels They're here. And that's – that's uh, that's the truth, man. We'll see what happens. You've got a draft pick to work with, maybe a top four one. You know, we'll see. Uh, that'll add some excitement to the off season. But at the end of the day, man, you know, I'll, I'll go back to Zion as we wrap up our our Pro Nola segment, and our conversation. You get a healthy Zion next year with that crew, man. The the excitement level and the potential, it's it's sky high. It truly is, and um, that's something that. You know, Zion aside, and I've said this in the past, so I think the connection is because now what Larry Nance says in his short time there about, man, it surpassed my expectations by a lot. You know, I want to I want to stay here. I love the family environment here. Um, hearing the guys and how they talk about it, it's we want to build something, not in the past the vibe of, well, you know, tell me why I should stay, right? Is a 180 from where this franchise has been. Gus, I'll give you the final word, my friend, um, before we let you run here on this Friday morning. And as always, man, we really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. Anything you want to add um, before we let you run? Well, I, I, I think, you know, what's interesting is they legit can go a number of different directions. And for the first time since I've covered this team, honestly, man, I you're not looking at you know, a massive overhaul. You're not looking at a star player. You're going to get people in the seats, right, Scott? You're not sitting there going, well, people want to be here. I mean, I it, this is an offseason unlike any other I've ever experienced. I would have never in my wildest dreams thought that on Thursday of last week on draft day for round one, with the Saints having two first-round picks, I, I had to bump guests. And I had books yeah. to talk about the draft because yeah. my phone lines would not stop ringing talking about game six. Like, I, 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 it was a legit thing I had to do. And I probably shouldn't be surprised because we, for the last year and a half, man, you know, really from the Zion time to, to just before, to but really since he's been on this team, man. I mean, when it's bad, I got general, man. It, it feels like, you know, old WWL days, Scott, where you just, you know, all right, what do you think? And, you know, and everybody from every part of town calls and gives you their opinions because they're all general managers, they're all head coaches, they all mm. know rotations. But, man, Scott, and, and, you know, you and I talked about this in the past where I think 
they are in, in a in a better spot than they ever have been because the the fan base is more educated, you know, than they've ever been. You know, in the past, oh, we got this Chris Paul dude, he's awesome. Oh, it's the Crescent City connection, it's just kind of fun. Let's just show up and they dunk, or you know, he's just shooting threes. You know, I I remember that guy. It's different here. It, it, it feels very state like in terms of the fan base, where people will call on the show your show on Mondays, and you know, Sean should have called this, you know. This guy's a bum. I just he can't block this, you know. I mean, like, like there's legit understanding of the game and matchups, and there's the people that are covering the Pelicans. Yep. You know, provide so much now from the podcasters to the bloggers to the guys like Schmidt doing that right and Holly Cosell and Jake Maddox. I mean, like there, there's so many differing ways to cover this than just. And, and I'm not by any means saying just the beat report or something like that. But it's great because, A, it's almost like the Pelicans. We all know each other. They're all friendly to one another. And they all support because they all cover it differently. Like, it, it's, it, it, it's it's a joy. It really legitimately is a joy right now covering this team. And even when it was bad, you know, um, we had suggestions. We, we knew what we thought they had to do. There was names. There was rotations there was things and then what's crazy is everything that was said or suggested for the most part when it was actually done whether it's through david griffin or willie green it materialized you know i mean there was a reason everybody couldn't stay in blood cell and there was a reason people said stop playing garrett temple there was a reason people stopped saying please stop playing you know Devontae graham start you know herb jones can, can you give trey murphy minutes can like all of that stuff that you saw over the last month, Scott, callers, listeners, fans, were on it. Yep. They were on it, you know? And it, 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 it's fun. It's like, I legitimately can't wait to the 17th when the lottery hits to see if the Pels can get up to the top four, uh, to the draft, Keep the buzz and going. to free agency, and then get going, man. You know? Like, I'm like, when's September coming? I'm ready. Let's go. Gus Cattengill has been our guest at GCAT underscore one seven on Twitter, host of the Sports Hangover ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. As always, my friend, appreciate the time, appreciate the knowledge, and we'll talk to you again soon. Always a pleasure, Scott. Take care, buddy. Levi Lewis, Raging Cajun quarterback, record holder. Now with the Seahawks, his route to a UDFA. What's the next step? His journey to this point. After Levi, we'll talk to Kendall Rogers, managing editor of D1Baseball.com. Then Big Sauce, Taylor Humphrey. It's all coming your way right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Take it out of the seat, so